recording another podcast for the Cloud Evangelist website. My name is Richard Morrell, and we're recording this in the Baker Street offices of Red Hat in London. And I'm joined this afternoon by Grant Shipley, who's made the transatlantic trip to come and talk OpenShift. So, Grant, introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. My name is Grant Shipley. I'm a developer evangelist at Red Hat. And I've been at Red Hat for about seven years and involved with open source and Linux companies my entire career, which has spanned about 15, 16 years at this point. So how come Red Hat tends to now become this enclave, this commune of open source skills people in the respect that, you know, traditionally Red Hat had a lot of service people. Now it seems to be that we're all coming back to the mothership. Uh, I think so. You know, I've always wanted to work on open source projects and work at open source companies and I've always worked at Linux companies I've been very fortunate to be able to do that and I've always admired Red Hat and the number of contributors that they have to some of the major open source projects you know if you think about one right now that has a lot of traction OpenStack Red Hat recently joined the OpenStack Foundation and were already one of the top five contributors to the project which is pretty damn cool. I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Mark McLaughlin from the OpenStack team, and he's just been elected now to the the foundation, to the board of directors, which is an amazing coup for Red Hat. But it also says about the kudos that he's held, not just by people within Red Hat, but the whole OpenStack community for all the effort that we're putting into it. Yep, exactly right. And we do believe that OpenStack and open source alternatives to some of these proprietary infrastructures as service platforms are the future and what's best for the industry, and so we're fully supportive of those efforts. Now, at Summit in June, I sat down with Isaac Roth, and we were talking about what steps it would take to move OpenShift online into the enterprise, and a lot of the backporting and stability to make OpenShift tolerable and supportable in the enterprise. And it's a huge amount of work. I don't think a lot of people realize just how much polish and professionalism is needed just to try and get OpenShift into a position where it's both installable and also workable in an enterprise in the, in the enterprise space. Yeah, that's correct. And you know, even going a little bit deeper, enterprises expect longer life cycles for application runtimes and database servers. So with the online environment, you're traditionally speaking to developers who are kind of bleeding edge, but enterprise is a completely different ballgame for us. And so we had to figure out the support models and how to have sustainable runtimes over a period of years and years versus just a few months to a year with an online type model. Now, a lot of companies have moved away from using traditional more strict development environments such as Lotus Notes and Microsoft Visual Studio and Visual C++ to now having these ragtag bunches of developers who are using Ruby, Python or anything that they want, their IDE of choice, etc., etc. How do we help those organizations move to a situation where they can safely embrace cloud using OpenShift? Well, one of the key design tenets of using OpenShift on the enterprise was typically I've been a software developer my entire career and one of the challenges is the struggle between developers and IT operations to where there's a happy medium. The operations team are generally focused on providing reliable services for production uh, type systems and developers when we request a developer environment we're kind of lowest on the totem pole as far as getting resources and so with OpenShift Enterprise we're actually providing a great environment where both of those parties can get along. We provide operations the ability to kind of control what type of applications can be created, monitor the applications, what resources are available, but also pro provide developers the automated system um, configuration that they want in order to create 20 node clusters, for example, in a quick amount of time. I was at a conference recently where a guy, a delegate who was attending it, came up to me and said, well, OpenShift, it's just force.com, just in short trousers, and I think that's doing it a complete disservice. Yeah, I, I agree with that. OpenShift Enterprise is completely different from that. We support 
varying different languages and runtimes. So if you have an existing Java enterprise development team, we support that with EE6, the full EE6 profile via JBoss. We support Tomcat-based applications if you're a Spring developer via JBoss EWS, both Tomcat 6 and 7. And for more of the you know, bleeding edge type guys, we also support things like Ruby and Node.js and MongoDB and some of these newer languages that people are trying to take advantage of. But it's in that still same sane environment that operations has complete control over. So from a maturity perspective, OpenShift Enterprise in 1.0 is here. Um, you're over here training a lot of RSAs, showing them exactly what is required to get it up and running. And it isn't a huge amount of work now. That's correct. Um, so we did release OpenShift 1.0 a few months ago, and actually last month on January 31st, we actually released OpenShift Enterprise 1.1, and we have on the roadmap 1.2 and 1.3 for this year also. The installation, we actually provide an installation utility, and you can install as many brokers and nodes, which holds hold your applications in you know a matter of minutes, 5-10 minutes. So for a company or an organization wanting to talk about OpenShift, you know, we the sales operations already geared up to talk about it. But for companies who are moving from more legacy-based technologies, such as the more the, the, the more ubiquitous Java technologies, OpenShift really is there as an alternative, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that was one of our key design tenants is your existing applications should work as is in the OpenShift platform. We have no proprietary APIs or hooks. So if you have an existing, you know, ear file or web archive war file, you should be able to just drop that straight into OpenShift and it should run. So with the acquisition of Manage IQ and also with the excitement around OpenShift, Red Hat really has turned itself not just from being a company associated with a supported Linux subscription, but also with middleware and storage, to now really having a complete play across the entire stack. That's correct. And, you know, we benefit a lot from having the Red Hat Enterprise Linux operating system as well. And we've taken full advantage of those capabilities. We have pushed SE Linux and Linux control groups and PAM namespaces to the limits, added new features, and pushed those back up um, to the upstream projects in order to have a very secure environment for a multi-tenant system. And we're looking at doing the same with Manage IQ and some of the other Red Hat properties to have a fully integrated platform as a service. Tim Kramer, who's part of the OpenShift team, Tim and I go back 13, 14 years, we've worked together for a long time, and I'm always talking to him about OpenSCAP and security and SE Linux within OpenShift. And it's been security by design, not just because it's necessary. That's correct. We started from day one really thinking about security. We examined all of the different uh, containers out there that we could use, like uh, Linux containers, LXC, and we decided to go with straight SE Linux and Linux control groups in order to segment the users. It just gives a governance and more peace of mind around the whole security and cloud aspect. I mean, we talk to a lot of companies and organizations who say security is one of the things which stops them getting to cloud. OpenShift and also the fact that SE Linux and SVR are part and parcel of the OpenShift design really gets around that from a governance perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the main reasons why we chose those technologies. It's proven, it's very secure, and quite honestly, the employees at Red Hat and the people who are working on writing those SE Linux policies for OpenShift are the experts with SE Linux. The growth of OpenShift is in no short order down to a lot of people in the community as well who've helped develop cartridges, who've helped push and propel the usage and also the take-up of OpenShift online, which is now translating into a lot of interest in the enterprise. You know, how important has the community been to OpenShift? 
the community has been extremely important to OpenShift. In fact, uh, OpenShift is complete 100% open source. You can download all of the code on GitHub, github.com slash OpenShift. Um, we accept pull requests. We have open mailing lists. And the goal is to actually let the community, the developers, and the systems administrators in the industry set what the direction of the product should be. So this is not like Red Hat pushing our agenda on what we think a platform as a service should be, but letting our actual users dictate to us what we should provide and, and work with us to help provide that code. So as we move towards Summit, is there anything that you're particularly excited about, appreciating that you're not going to give us a complete roadmap overview, but some of the, the cool technologies and partnerships, such as with Accelerator, is there anything there? Or? Um, we have some really cool things planned for Summit this year. Um, not to give too much away, but we're planning to show OpenShift Enterprise um, and how you can actually use it in multiple data centers and scale out from maybe a local private instance out to a public instance in a public cloud for wow, access capacity. Cool. That's that's true elasticity in motion, isn't it? Yep. Okay. So is there anything else with regards to 1.1 that's come out that, that really has, you know, made you think? Um, I think 1.1 is unique because we kind of are OpenShift as a team and a product and project, the first truly scalable enterprise platform as a service that has been tested in large fashion. For instance, with our OpenShift online service where we have, you know, I can't reveal the numbers, but... Uh, I, I have the numbers Jimmy gave them to me, but I won't reveal them either. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a lot and a lot of users actually using OpenShift online, and it is the same code base that we have for OpenShift Enterprise. And so over the last two years when we've been running OpenShift online, it's a great test bed, right? We have proven that the source code behind OpenShift Enterprise can scale at a very high fashion. I think one of the next questions we always get from a lot of the service providers that we work with with the cloud certified program is when can we start having OpenShift in a service environment? It's just one of those things. We're working on it. When it happens, it's ready. That's correct. And one of our goals with the certified cloud providers is to have other people standing up their own OpenShift clouds yeah. and providing it to their customers and charging for that. And I think that's great because it's part of the ecosystem. It's saying Red Hat is helping push and migrate those enterprise workloads to cloud, not just as a platform, but as an enabler. And there are very few companies and organizations, Oracle's certainly not doing it. Heroku can't do it. Right. You know, Google, again, there's a lack of trust. But if you if you have a, a local service provider with an open source, uh, OpenShift substantiation in their territory, there's no reason why when that happens, you can't start moving those workloads geographically to it. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I also see a big opportunity for traditional hosting providers that are providing VPS services today mm -hmm. to deploy OpenShift Enterprise out because we can achieve a much higher dens density with multi-tenant applications than you could ever achieve with a VPS system today. And that's in, in, in Europe, that's absolutely specific because if you th there's a major difference between American hosting companies and Europe. In, in Europe, we tend to have a lot of ISPs, internet service providers, who eventually turned into what they were called managed service providers. And a lot of them have already started building out their clouds or running to cloud. They've started building what they think is cloud, maybe with a managed firewall, a virtualization tier, and some shared storage. And that's really not my definition of cloud. Um, but now, really, customers are more savvy. They, they, they're they going to, to cloud providers with a shopping list and also with a list of things that the cloud provider needs to hit in order to get their business to serve that, to serve that contract. And I think the cloud providers who start serving up 
solutions such as OpenShift are going to be more revenue savvy than those who aren't. Yeah, and I think you hit a, a great point there uh, with customers going to cloud providers with kind of a checklist. For me, the first item that should be on that checklist is whether or not they have proprietary APIs. If you take Google App Engine, for example, they kind of want you to use their proprietary API to talk to their data store. And I have a friend who went to a startup company and they hosted all of their applications uh, written in Python on Google App Engine using their proprietary data store APIs. They were recently purchased by a European firm and the European firm actually wanted them to move to a different uh, hosting provider. And they estimated that it would take them six months in order to port their code out of Google App Engine into a non-proprietary cloud platform. I think one of the other cool things that OpenShift does is it, it levels the playing field as well for smaller organizations to be able to play with the same level of flexibility and dexterity getting to cloud as the larger guys as well. Yeah, I, that is one of the great things about a platform as a service such as OpenShift is traditionally if you had a startup company, you would start small, you would get a couple of dedicated servers, and you didn't really know how much web traffic that your um, applications were going to, to um, get. Well, what happens if you get... You know, we used to call it, I'm fairly older in the technology generation now, so I call it the Slashdot effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you get your website on, uh, website on Slashdot or Reddit, you're going to get a huge amount of traffic, which is exactly what you want for a startup. But what you don't want is for your website to be unresponsive during that time. And with the auto-scaling capabilities of a platform as a service, and particularly OpenShift, we'll automatically scale up to satisfy the demand for a startup company so you don't have to spec out all of these systems when you truly don't know what your demand's going to be. As one of the guys who helped build Slashdot, I think I'm probably responsible for a lot of that pain. <laughs> okay, so OpenShift Enterprise as is. For companies who are looking to try and adopt it, what about their standard working environments for developers? Because I, I do a lot of work with, with enterprise companies who sometimes tell me that it can take 13, 14, 15 days, if not longer, for when a developer starts in a company for him to actually be productive and up to speed because he gets his cho choice of Glade or Eclipse and his tools and his CVS trees and where, his, his Git trees and wherever. OpenShift actually gets around that, doesn't it? It streamlines things. Absolutely. One of the my first tasks when I joined Wet Red Hat was to create a install script to get new developers up and running. Even with an install script, it still took us a week in order to get someone's development environment set up and configured properly. With OpenShift, we're able to achieve that literally in a matter of minutes. Not only can you have a full development set, uh, development environment set up, but you can have it mirror production exactly. Whether you want 20, uh, a 20-node 20 JBoss cluster or a 20-node PHP cluster, it doesn't matter to us. We can still spin it up just as efficiently, and we have an open REST API to where developers can automate a lot of this stuff, and we also have an open cartridge API. So if you do have a specific Tomcat valve, for example, deep in the internals of Tomcat for authentication, even things that low level will still work out of the box with OpenShift. And for CIOs and CTOs who are worrying that moving to cloud means that they essentially lose control of a lot of their change control requests, you know, cause traditionally, if you think about it, a developer who wanted to get his app to cloud had to put in a request for CPU space. He had to put in a request for a, a, a port forward on, on a firewall, all these bits and pieces. Now, all of a sudden, the CIO with OpenShift, he's, able, he's able to just have that goodness out the box. Uh, correct, but we still provide the features that the operations team in, in needs in order to make sure that they still have control over the environment. We allow developers a lot of flexibility in what they 
can create, but operations still has the control that they desire. I walked into one of the largest telecommunications companies uh, in the world a few months back and did a, a discussion day with them to find out that their four key development communities, which are in four different geographic territories worldwide, were using nine different flavors of development operating systems and also different version controls with you know no changing and no patching because they were worried what would break which source tree. Again, OpenShift gets around that as well. Correct. Yeah, uh, that's the beauty of OpenShift is you can use the same packages across all development environments, the same JBoss EAP version or JBoss AS. You can use the same Apache, ModPHP, same Ruby and Rails packages, and you can ensure all of that um, at the operating system level. So for CIOs, you can't really afford to not pay attention to that. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it well. It keeps you out of jail. Yeah, <laughs> correct. And you know, I think as we're starting to see a lot of developers start using PaaS in the online space in their free time after their normal day job, they have fallen in love with platform as a service and deploying out to cloud. And that's what they're going to expect from companies in the near future. So in order to attract and retain talent, you are going to have to adapt some of these cloud strategies, especially for developers. We were doing a partner tour here in EMEA, and one of the major broadcasting companies, one of their senior technical guys from Germany was over here. And I heard him say to his partner, he's like, OpenShift, he said, this isn't Skunkworks anymore. No. And that's the biggest compliment I took from the whole day. I remember thinking, cool, yeah. <laughs> someone gets it. Yeah, that's exactly right. OpenShift is a very stable and reliable platform today, and that's why we have released uh, OpenShift Enterprise. We know that it's ready um, based on our online usage and based of our, on our internal testing and people using OpenShift Enterprise. So where next? You're off to Spain after this, are you? Or? Yeah, I am fl uh, flying down to Spain in the morning. I'm speaking at the Titanium uh, Conference, which is a... Uh, Appcelerator conference for mobile development in Valencia, Spain. I'm giving a talk on full-stack JavaScript development with OpenShift. So OpenShift's really keeping you busy. It is, absolutely. <laughs> Good. Excellent. Grant, thanks for taking time with your day. I yeah, appreciate I appreciate it. it. Yep. Cheers, guys.